Our first scripture reading tonight comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53, the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. While he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with a sword? Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this, and he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple police, and the elders who had come for him, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our next scripture comes from Luke 22, verses 54 through 62, when Peter denies Jesus. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him and said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else, on seeing him, said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then about an hour later still, another kept insisting, Surely this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter, remembering the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Luke 22, 63 through 71. Now the men who were holding Jesus began to mock him and beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophecy, who is that that struck you? They kept heaping many other insults on him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes gathered together and they brought him to their council. They said, if you are the Messiah, tell us. He replied, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I question you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. All of them asked, are you then the Son of God? He said to them, you say that I am. Then they say, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Luke 23, one through five. This is the Easter story. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. 
they began to accuse him saying, we found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor and saying that he himself is the Messiah, the king. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered, you say so. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowds, I find no basis for an accusation against this man. But they were insistent and they said, he stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee where he began even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him off to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad because he had been wanting to see him for a long time because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some sign. He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priest and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Even Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. And then he put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. That same day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate then called together the chief priest, the leaders, and the people. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was perverting the people. And here I have examined him in your presence. And I have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Indeed, he has done nothing to deserve death. I will therefore have him flogged and release him. Then they all shouted together, away with this fellow, release Barabbas for us. This was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found him in no grounds for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand would be granted. He released the man that they asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder. And he handed Jesus over as they wished. Luke 23, 26 through 43. As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of the people followed him, 
And among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. For they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leader scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been just condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And our story concludes with Luke 23, 44 through 56. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who, though a member of the council, had not agreed to their plan and action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hued tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come from him with Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So we are here with Jesus on the cross. And if you weren't with us last night, we started this Holy Week when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey for which we spoke. Hosanna in the highest. The crowds had gathered. He was at the pinnacle of his popularity. People were there to see him and also there for Passover because they were required to be in and around Jerusalem. And so they all came to see the Jesus spectacle. Many followed him from the beginning. Some he picked up along the way. Some probably were just walking by and decided to stop and look and see. Hosanna in the highest blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us, Hosanna. As he progressed throughout the week, Monday, roughly according to the Gospels, he turned over the tables to purify the temple. Tuesday was really his last day to teach. So he spoke in parables. He talked about the withered fig tree that was not doing what the fig tree was there to do, which is to produce fruit, which we are the same. Wednesday was relatively quiet a calm before this storm. Thursday, last night, we observed Maundy Thursday, that word Maundy, M-A-U-N-D-Y, meaning commandment, because Christ commanded us to break the bread and remember and drink the cup and remember. Commanded that night that we still obey that commandment that that ritual, that meal was not put in place by the early church, but by Christ himself. And last night in the fellowship hall, we celebrated that with a meal ourselves. We shared communion and Jesus, having given them this symbolic meal, bread is my body, the cup is my blood, broken and shed. In John's gospel, he then took a towel off from, his, took his robe off and then a towel and washed their feet. As if giving them this symbolic meal for always to say, do this and remember me. And this is what you do with your actions from this point on. And I do it by example, washing the feet of others. That was an act of servanthood. Who wants to wash other people's nasty, stinky, biblical time feet? Nobody. 
But Jesus did and said, you must do this because ministry is hard. You have to serve other people. And yes, sometimes discipleship and ministry stink. That's where you're called to be. I give you that example. Go and do it. So after that, then they move to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays that prayer that we pray or need to challenge ourselves to pray every day with heartfelt urgency. Jesus kneels before God and says, to paraphrase, God, if there's any other way for this to happen, let it be. But in the end, it is not my will, God, but yours be done. And at that moment, the disciples that already were starting to turn on him in the way that they were asleep in Jesus's moment of need because he knew what was coming. The soldiers came. Judas betrayed with a kiss. That's where John's first Luke passage tonight picked up. They take him. The false accusations, shipping him between Herod the Jewish ruler, and Pilate, the Roman ruler, having these mock trials, the house of the head priest, Jesus beaten at each step of this journey into Friday, the interplay that we know between Pilate and Jesus and the crowd, and the temple leadership structure all intimidated and threatened by Christ. Pilate needing to maintain order. That was his job. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He came to Jerusalem on these mandated festival days to maintain order as Jerusalem swelled several times its normal citizenry. He could not let things get out of control. He said and tried, I find no guilt for this man. Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate had little choice. He said, okay, crucify him. This is the day that Jesus was born into the world to do and to be, the ultimate act of what he was called to do. Many other things along the way, but this from the very beginning. If you remember in Matthew's gospel, she will, first chapter, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save their people, his people from their sins. That was the birth narrative. That's right at the beginning when we are celebrating in Matthew's gospel, the Magi and the star that led them. First, one of the first things Matthew says, he has come to save them from their sins. The infant already is portraying and projected and foreshadowing to this night to the cross. Luke's gospel, where we have shepherds and angels, the heavenly host and those lowly shepherds in the field. 
For you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The word savior and Christ used to say why this birth is exceptional. Not only the way that Christ was born, but who this child is. The savior that he will save the world. And two, to use the word Christ, which we know is the same as the Hebrew word Messiah, Christ is Greek, which means the anointed one, which means the one who is set aside in this case to do only what Christ, what only what Jesus, the son of God can do. And that is to save the world from sin and death. From his very first breath, was leading to this moment and to the one yet to come. But first the sacrifice needed to be made. Christ knew all the way through this journey where this was going. He tried to tell his disciples again and again, they could not fathom it. They could not put it together. They could not internalize what that meant. As we've had discussions about what the Messiah would be, it wasn't a poor carpenter riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to teach about fig trees. It was somebody strong who could come in and overtake Caesar and Rome. They were the occupiers that the Messiah in their mind should come and overthrow to free Jerusalem and all of Israel. So they started to fade from him because it's not what the Messiah was supposed to be. They didn't understand this kingdom of the world versus God's kingdom. That kingdom came when Christ came into the world. He began on that first night that he was born, continued to build it while he was here, bringing people to him setting out and training the world about what it needed to do. We are inheritors of that until Christ comes again. We are to continue to build that kingdom until he comes again. But here in this moment, they all leave him, except the women that had been with him from the start. Only they were faithful. Only they. All the rest had run for fear that they would be next, for fear that they, as Peter, who denied three times, would be associated with this person who, because he was arrested and being crucified, could he really be the Messiah? Maybe he's not who we thought he was. Maybe he doesn't have the power we thought. We saw him do some amazing things. Heal, calm the seas, feed thousands of people from just a few loaves and fish. But the bigger picture is maybe he's not who we thought he was. So they abandoned him as we often do. When we are called by others, you're a Christian, why do they do that? You're a Christian, why do you do that? 
And we often step away and say, well, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know much about no Bible, no faith. Yeah, if I follow, I'm trying to figure it out. And of course, that's where we all are. We are all God's people. Broken, yes, but blessed. Blessed and broken is who we are. And without Christ and without tonight, we would just be broken. It is the blessed that Christ gives us. And we need to never forget that in our worst moments, when we hold the mallet and we continue to drive the nail in, we are still God's beloved children. He knew this. Those seven last words of Christ taken from seven phrases from the four gospels funneled down into words. The first is forgiveness from Luke. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Second is salvation also from Luke with the thieves on either side and one that is taunting him. If, you're, if you are who you say you are, just get us down. You got the power, wave the magic wand, snap us out of here. And the other one says, hey, 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 we did what we were accused of doing. He confessed this second thief. He was penitent and said, this man is innocent. He didn't do what he's accused of. The thief knew that. Why didn't the rest of them? And turn to Christ, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief had the vocabulary of Christ's kingdom, much more faithful and understanding than those who followed more closely. Or maybe this thief did, we don't know. Jesus says tonight, you will be with me in paradise salvation, forgiveness and salvation. Then relationship is the third word. That's John's gospel. He looks down, sees his mother, Mary, and John, the beloved disciple. And he says, woman, this is your son. To say that now that Jesus, her earthly son, is dying, finishing his journey, his mandate, his call, doesn't want Mary to be alone, nor John, his friend, the beloved disciple. And that's important because I think so much of our Christian faith is about eternity and eternal life. And absolutely it is, but my feeble brain can't always figure out what that means, what that looks like, or what it's going to be. How do you wrap your head around eternity all I know is that at the end of this life, it is with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that I want to be. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that's going to feel like, sound like. But I know that's where I want to be. But Jesus is saying relationships and earthly relationships are important. He could very much say, just follow me. I am saving you forever for your eternity. But he stops and he says, I love you to take care of one another. To say that relationships are given as gifts on this earth and they are. 
So many of us come to faith through other people, whether that is by example or invitation just to come to church or join us in a Bible study or let's talk about faith. I have some questions. Let's pray together. Let's meet together. Let's read some scripture together. Let's be a community of faith in the larger church family or in smaller groups within. Relationships are important and divinely inspired. Forgiveness, salvation, relationship. Then abandonment. Both Matthew and Mark use those Aramaic words. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If Jesus can feel abandonment, do you think we do as well? Quoting Psalm 22 with the full knowledge that at the end of Psalm 22, it is one of faith and belief and elevating God. It does not stay in that desperate place. The Jews would have known that. That is one that they used at temple often. But there is no doubt that in that moment that Jesus was feeling abandonment. One of the things we learn from the cross is that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to be called out, to be falsely accused, to be abandoned by friends and family, to suffer physical debilitating pain, to be on display in that time of suffering. And the blessing of that is that Christ knows what it's like to be us. When we have moments of pain and suffering and doubt and fear, and we have been called out or pointed at or are hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually, when others are dying, when we lose those we love, when trials and tribulations happen in our lives, we know that Christ knows what that means. Our God is not one that is circling around in an environment or atmosphere somewhere, looking down and playing God's little game of chess, but one that is intimately involved in our hearts and lives. That's the way God set it up and sent Christ to be us incarnate so that God would know when we are in pain what that is like. Abandonment. Then distress. In John's gospel, he says, I thirst, I thirst. As a way to talk about the suffering and the brokenness and the pain of everything that is going on, this torturous event that Jesus is enduring, I thirst. Then finally, victory As again, it comes from John when, John, when Jesus says, it is finished. Christ has completed the journey for which he was born. He went through all that he was meant to do. From meeting, from teaching, from eating, to laughing with, to crying with, to healing. Bringing and reconciling people in that world at that time to God through him. It now is finished, this phase of Christ's journey. Triumph. 
And finally, reunion. As again, it ends in Luke, and he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And once again, this father, son, father and son are reunited in that way, in God's kingdom in heaven. And it is when the spirit descends, that spirit of Christ at Pentecost, that is the presence of Christ that has been with us from that time forward and still remains with us through the Holy Spirit. It is a horrible act that Christ voluntarily and willingly took on for us tonight. But it is one that speaks of a larger love, and that is God's love for us. God could have given us up and which one of us would not have given us up at that point were we in God's shoes? Enough with these people. Thousands and thousands of years, we know God is saying, I know what they are going to do. They cannot not sin. So I will take care of them once and for all. The last sacrifice that has to be made is this part of me, God says that I give to you, my children, as a gift from now and forever. And when we seek and when we follow, when we ask for forgiveness, when we work on our relationship with Christ, we know that we will be forgiven and new life will be granted should we seek and follow with our hearts and lives. This day is horrible, but it speaks of a larger love. That's what this day is about. So that humanity and God remain together forever with no more sacrifice. That each of us, as we do our sins every day, would have to bear, pay, or sacrifice as they did in the Old Testament temple sacrificial structure. So we thank God, we thank Christ for the events of today, as horrible as they are. It is God's difficult way in this case of saying that we are loved, that we are called like Christ to sacrifice in the ways that we can so that other people know the love that I hope all of us do. So tonight, remember what Christ has done. Remember the sacrifice that has been given willingly through Christ for every human being, all of us God's children. Remember tonight how Jesus was alone and they all scattered we remember tonight how he died. Amen. So it is that tonight Christ felt alone. First betrayed by his friends, his disciples in the garden. Then again, after his arrest, more started to flee. By his own Jewish people and leadership, 
that sought to kill him. The full weight of the Roman empire and authority and death machine was on him. He felt every blow by the hammer every time it hit the nail through each arm through his legs. They mocked him. He bled from his head from this crown that they had made to mock him further. When he died, having called out in abandonment and distress, the disciples thought him dead. They took his body and buried him. This could not have been the Messiah because he is dead. Tonight, everyone is confused. Tonight, everyone is in chaos and Christ is dead. There is no light. There is no hope. Tonight, Christ is dead. Amen.